Welcome into the Art Gibbs Sports Business Podcast. Uh, happy to have you here today. In this episode, we've got a very special guest, uh, Jeff Benedict, the author of The Dynasty, about the Patriots dynasty, one that uh, it will probably never see again, at least in the NFL, we'll, you know, seeing a dynasty like that to that level over almost two decades is probably not going to happen again. And we talk about some of the reasons why, some of the leadership at the top, some of the threads that go throughout all nearly 20 years of the, the dynasty. And it's a, it's a really great conversation. We talked about 30 minutes. He's a New York Times bestselling co-author of uh, Tiger Woods, a book about, about Tiger Woods. And uh, he was very generous to come on. Um, and we enjoyed the conversation. So without further ado, I will send you over there now. All right, so we're joined here by Jeff Benedict, the author of The Dynasty. And um, one of the main threads that I kind of noticed going throughout the book was Kraft's uh, kind of steady hand at the top in, in a lot of this stuff. And one of the really first sort of major divergences that he had compared to uh, kind of the consensus in the rest of the league was in his you know pursuit of Belichick. A lot of the people didn't want Belichick, uh, and he pursued him at a really high cost. What, um, what do you think it was that made Kraft do that such, you know, kind of early in his ownership tenure? And uh, what, what kind of made the rest of the league stay away from him as a, as a head coach candidate? So Belichick's first uh, tenure as a head coach in the NFL was in Cleveland. And, uh, that happened at a time when Kraft had just purchased the Patriots. And when he did that, he inherited Bill Parcells as the head coach. Parcells had a long history with Belichick. And a couple years after Kraft bought the Patriots, um, Belichick got fired in Cleveland and was offered a job in Miami to become the defensive coordinator under Jimmy Johnson. Parcells didn't want to coach against Belichick in the division. And so he went to Kraft and basically implored him to go talk to Belichick and see if he could talk him out of going to Miami and into coming to Foxborough. Initially, Kraft didn't want to do that because they didn't need um, a new defensive coordinator. And he didn't understand what the point was to try to recruit a coach that they didn't need and couldn't really afford. But eventually he went. He went out to Indianapolis where the NFL Combine was being held, and he met with Belichick. They ended up talking for hours. And um, Kraft came away extremely impressed, and Belichick came away wanting to go to New England instead of Miami, and that's what happened. And during uh, Parcell's final year in New England as head coach, Belichick was there as a defensive coordinator. And in that year... Kraft had the opportunity to observe him a lot in practice. And uh, what he noticed was a lot of the young, talented defensive players at that time, guys like Teddy Bruschi and Lawyer Malloy and Ty, Ty Law, Willie McGinnis, they all responded extremely well to Belichick, largely because he was such a good teacher and such a good motivator. So when Parcells left, Kraft wanted to hire Belichick. The only reason he didn't do that at the time was because of his distrust for Parcells and therefore distrust for anybody else 
who was close to Parcells, and that was Belichick. So instead, he hired Pete Carroll. And for three years, Pete Carroll coached New England. And during that entire time, Kraft was wishing he had signed Belichick. So after Carroll's third year, he starts that process of trying to get Belichick out of New York, away from the Jets to New England. And that's when everybody was pressuring him not to hire him. From the commissioner down through fellow owners, even executives at the networks that broadcast the NFL games were against Belichick getting hired as the head coach because they all thought he would fail just like he had in Cleveland. Um, and Kraft trusted his instincts. He went with his gut. He ignored all the experts and he hired Belichick. And he got criticized and ridiculed publicly in Boston by the press for the decision. And I would say through the first year that Belichick was head coach in New England, it looked like all those experts were right and that Kraft was wrong. Keep in mind, I think you you alluded to it, that he he basically gave up a first-round draft choice in the trade with the Jets to get Belichick. And everybody at the time said that Kraft got taken to the cleaners in that trade because he gave up a first-round pick for an unproven coach. Here's the thing that's interesting. If you look back at that trade now, it looks more lopsided than Babe Ruth going from the Red Sox to the yeah. Yankees. Um, six Super Bowl titles later, I think Kraft got the better end of that deal. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, and it and kind of similarly, uh, Belichick himself early in his tenure at uh, New England, kind of, um, I guess it was Brady's second year, he, he felt that Brady was the best quarterback that he had, but yet he kind of refrained from starting Brady over Bledsoe uh, until Bledsoe's injury. Was that, was that him just sort of being so early in his tenure? Was that pressure from Kraft, you know, with Bledsoe having just signed the, the large contract? Or what sort of drove him to refrain from from putting in Brady earlier, you know, prior to, to Bledsoe's injury? Well, if we look at the timeline in 2000, just a couple of months after Belichick became the head coach in New England, he participated in his first NFL draft. And in that draft, um, with the 199th pick in the sixth round, he chose Brady. By that time, he had already, the Patriots had selected a whole bunch of other players in different positions that they really needed to fill. About the only position that the New England didn't need to fill in 2000 was the quarterback. And that's the biggest reason that Belichick didn't draft Brady earlier in the draft. Um, you know, the larger question is why did every other coach for every other team overlook Brady? Um, Belichick was looking at Brady from the very early rounds and he kept noting that he was still on the board. He's still on the board as the draft dragged on and on. And finally he pulled the trigger and got him. And then they went through that first training camp in 2000 and uh, Belichick had to make a big decision, which was whether to keep him Brady or cut him. 
they had three quarterbacks ahead of him. So in addition to Bledsoe, who was the superstar, they had two very quality backup quarterbacks, both of whom were better than Brady at that point in time. So the first big decision that Belichick makes is keeping Brady on the roster in 2000 as a fourth string quarterback. That was unheard of at the time to carry four quarterbacks. Then the 01 season starts and it's in that second training camp that Belichick decides that Brady is the best quarterback for the team. That mean thinks that Brady is a better quarterback all around than Bledsoe because he wasn't at that time. But he's better for this particular team and the system that Belichick had. But there's no way he can start him going into the 01 season for a couple reasons. I mean, the biggest one being that Bledsoe is a superstar who just signed a $103 million contract extension in the offseason. He's the favored son in New England, and he just couldn't make that kind of change. But when Bledsoe got hurt in the second game of the 01 season, that's what opened the door for Belichick to do what he really wanted to do, which was to put Brady in the lineup. But the next tricky thing, of course, is, is a, a month and a half later, when uh, Bledsoe was cleared to return medically to play, he should have got his job back. He didn't get his job back because Belichick argued that Brady's now been playing whatever it was, six or seven weeks. The team had gotten used to him. They were on a roll. He didn't want to mess up the chemistry, and he stuck with him. And that was a really uh, gutsy move by him. And uh, I think the only reason it – was allowed to stand was because Brady kept winning. And, um, you know, he won all the way up through the end of that season and into the playoffs and onto the Super Bowl. Now, how did the, uh, like the fans and the community feel about that? Were they, were the, were people in Boston kind of clamoring to have Bledsoe back or did they, they think they had something special going there with Brady right off the bat or. I, there was a mix of opinions on this. I mean, you got to keep in mind that at that time, the, the unspoken rule in the NFL was that uh, you don't lose your job to injury, um, especially when you're the starting quarterback. And so the tradition was that when Bledsoe came back, he, he should have got his job back. And he really didn't even have a chance to compete for his job. Uh, Belichick had made a decision. And so it was controversial. There were a lot of sports writers and fans who certainly had observed that Brady had done a good job in while filling in for Bledsoe. But there was also a, you know, there were a lot of folks who thought Bledsoe should get the job back. And there were even players on the team who felt like he should have got his job back. And so um, there was some division, but there were also a lot of players who said, hey, this kid's done really great. Um, they rallied around him. And uh, again, I just say that I think it was Brady really earned his job because he, he performed so unusually well for a guy who had never started prior to that year. Yeah. And, and of course, they, you know, the Patriots had consistent success throughout this whole dynasty. But as far as actually getting those Super Bowls, you know, there was the cluster at the beginning and the cluster at the end. Um, did 
did the presence of Garoppolo have any effect on Brady? And did that, did it in any way sort of lead to that second cluster of, of Super Bowl play, or was it just kind of a coincidence that that sort of occurred um, right around the time that, that the Patriots kind of went back to their Super Bowl winning ways? You know, I, I think one of the things that's so fascinating about the Patriots dynasty is that um, there is a, a massive 10 year period in between the Super Bowl victories in the early part of the dynasty and the latter part of the dynasty. There's no precedent in NFL history for a team uh, to win three Super Bowls, then go 10 years, a decade without a Super Bowl, and then come back and, and go um, to five more and win three of them. With the same with the same new top. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that's, that is a tremendous, that says a lot about the core, the owner, Robert Kraft, the head coach, Bill Belichick, and the quarterback, Tom Brady. In terms of what their approach was, their mentality towards adversity, towards defeat, um, I, I just think that anybody else would have, they would have succumbed to the, the depression, the difficulty, the, you can only get knocked down so many times and get back up and fight again to get knocked down that many times. And to see Belichick and Brady year after year, after year, get back up and say, well, we're going to, we're going to go back at it next year. Keep in mind how many times during that 10 years, they came so close to winning more Super Bowls in 07, they went undefeated in the regular season and then plowed through the playoffs and then lost the Super Bowl to the Giants in the last minute. Yeah. And then, in in an incredible play that's, you know. Yeah, yeah, unprecedented. And then a year later, Brady blows his knee out and misses a season. And then a few years later, they face the Giants again in the Super Bowl. And again, on a, on a crazy play, they lose to the Giants a second time in the Super Bowl. And then there's a bunch of times in there where they go deep in the playoffs, AFC championship games, losing just by a whisker to keep coming back. I think um, that's a lot of what the dynasty, the book is about is what is it about them that gave them the ability to keep getting up off the canvas and going back to work. And then by 2014, uh, you see this remarkable resurgence, which in a way is it's not a resurgence in the sense that they rebuilt everything because the core is the same but by 14 there's a there's a machine like uh production schedule for this team where the super bowl becomes like a a date on the calendar they're there's they're there almost every year in the final six years of brady's tenure in new england they basically have a date with the super bowl almost every year yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of kind of getting, you know, dealing with adversity and, and, you know, kind of go into the mattresses, they, they had some setbacks, obviously they had the, you know, the Aaron Hernandez thing. And, um, but something that I found was kind of almost unprecedented. You don't see it in a lot of other sports leagues where the league itself kind of during the deflate gate situation kind of relentlessly pursued their, star and their their top team you know almost to a level where it was it was um 
you know, unfair and deemed illegal, basically. Um, why do you think the NFL came with such vigor at uh, the Patriots during that deflate gate situation? So there's a couple things. And uh, I think number one is if you go back to 2007 and historical perspective is important here, the Patriots did get caught in 2007 filming the Jets in a regular season game in violation of NFL rules. Um, now, look, the players weren't involved in that. Uh, ownership wasn't involved in that. But the coaching staff was aware that it was going on, allowed it to go on, got caught, admitted it, and got penalized. I think that that's important. And then the other thing that's important historically is remember that by 2014, when Deflategate starts, which is technically started in January of 15, so it's the playoffs at the back end of the 2014 season, by then the Patriots have won so much so often that the degree of jealousy and envy in the league toward this team is unparalleled. And so I think that plus the fact that they had a prior instance that gave some presumed validity to the second claim of deflating footballs uh, had a lot to do with it. But here's the thing. In the NFL's zeal to punish the Patriots for something that they could never prove that the Patriots did, it was an effort in one, on one hand to placate the other teams and the fan base in the NFL to show that the league was, was you know, not playing yeah. favorites with New England. What the league really did by coming down extra hard on New England was they really punished the rest of the league because the amount of fire that they've put under the New England, this is an organization that doesn't need external motivation to begin with. Well, all the league did was give, give them a lot more motivation to pound everybody into the ground. I mean, keep in mind, when the deflate gate accusations were levied by the Indianapolis Colts in January of 2015, the Patriots hadn't won a Super Bowl in a decade. After they made those allegations and the league basically accused Brady and the Patriots of cheating again, look at what the Patriots did to the NFL. They wrecked the league. They dominated the league for the next six years. They went to the Super Bowl almost every year. Uh, they, they beat Seattle. They beat Atlanta. They beat the Rams. They came inches away from beating the Eagles. I mean, I, I think if you, if you went back and did it all over again and you were really thinking about it, you might have just left that one alone because that's like taking, <laughs> a, taking a stick to a hornet's nest and yeah. giving a big whack and turning everybody loose. And that's what happened really in New England. Do you think we'll, um, we'll ever see anything like this again in the NFL? No. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a, that's a one word answer. I think that that is, uh, we've never seen anything like it before. And I think we'll never see anything like it again. Um, so. Yeah. Well, I, I know you've got to run. I've got to, so I, I know you mentioned in the book that Bon Jovi and, and Belichick are good friends. 
Do we do we have any anecdotes from Bon Jovi about Belichick? Did do we know any of those? Yeah, I mean, it's also important, I think, to point out that Bon Jovi's also become really good friends with Bob Kraft, and yeah. um, and that he's converted to becoming a Patriots fan. Uh, remember, Bon Jovi was a Giants fan. He's a Jersey yes. boy. And um, he fell in love with the Giants when Parcells and Belichick were coaching the Giants to those Super Bowl championships in the 80s. Uh, I think that, you know, one of my favorite stories in the book is in the final year of Parcells coaching the Patriots, he takes the Patriots to the Super Bowl against the Packers at the Superdome in New Orleans. And there's a great anecdote where um, in the last practice that the Patriots had before the game, which they had at the Superdome, um, Bon Jovi's about the only guy who was allowed on the field other than the team. That shows you the kind of relationship he had with yeah. Belichick. Kraft was there and he noticed him there and he walked up to him and he said, tell me about your friend. And Bon Jovi said, you mean Belichick? And he said, yeah. That's the time when, when Kraft's trying to decide whether to hire Belichick to succeed Parcells. And, um, Bon Jovi tells him some personal things about Belichick to sort of remind him that Belichick's a, a good guy. He's someone that he's really good friends with. Well, after that conversation, when practice was over, Bon Jovi and Belichick walk back to the team hotel from the Superdome. And they walk with Bon Jovi's manager and uh, a couple of other rock stars that were with him. And along the way, they stop and, uh, and, and get uh, – some drinks and are sitting out on a street in New Orleans drinking together. And to me, that was just this incredible, it's really hard to picture Belichick that way today, but that is who he was. And I I was thinking, imagine walking down a street in New Orleans back in the late nineties, the day before the Super Bowl, and, and to stumble along and see Bon Jovi and Bill Belichick sitting on a curb, you know, drinking hurricanes and going, what? Um, but it's a great moment in the book, and it was one that was fun to write about. Oh, yeah. It shows some great color around around Belichick. Yeah. Well, thank thank you for doing this. Uh, it's it's a fantastic book. I would encourage everybody to go uh, read it. Uh, like you said, I don't think we'll ever see anything like this again. And it's, it's so recent and fresh on our memory, and this does a great job uh, going through it, providing details and memorializing what is, you know, probably a once in a lifetime type thing to, to be a part of. Yeah, it was a great, it was a privilege to do it. And uh, something that I had set my mind on doing for a long time before I actually got to write it. So. Well, great. And thank you for, thank you for doing this. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. 